Hello, and welcome to this podcast of Sunday Sermons from Concord United Methodist Church. We hope that you'll find this message to be meaningful, insightful, and a refreshing part of your daily walk with God. Please feel free to share this podcast with family, friends, or anyone else who might benefit from it. This podcast is part of the digital ministries of Concord United, and we are grateful that you have chosen to experience worship and God's Word with us. For more information about Concord United and its ministries, please visit our website at concordunited.org. Today we're continuing our series on the New Testament letters, which were letters written to teach the early church how to imitate the life of Jesus and to love as Jesus loved and now teach us that same imitation. We want to share with you one of the ways that we learn of Jesus' life, learn to uh, love as Jesus loved is by reading our Bibles every day. And we hope you'll be a part of the Bible reading plan. You can find it at concordunited.org Bible. We started in Genesis in May. We're going to complete Revelation at the end of, or excuse me, we start in, at Genesis in August. We're going to complete Revelation in May. But then the Bible reading plan will continue. Now, uh, here's a newsflash. The readings will be shorter this summer. So good news. Uh, and they'll continue to go along with the sermons. I don't know of anything better you can do for yourself than read the Bible and pray every day and hope you'll take advantage of that. Because what in today's passage, what Paul's talking about really has a lot to do with reading the Bible and praying every day. He's talking about how you train yourself, how, how you, what really matters in life, uh, what really creates value in living and uh, creates value for other people, and that, that you need to be trained in this because you may not naturally just find that. And we, we know from different parts of our lives how important training is. It's important in our professions. One of my hobbies is I, I like to run, and I, I enjoy training for races. I have a group that, that I train with, and I, I don't run because I'm ever going to get a time that's going to be that impressive. I'm, I'm not going to run because uh, I'm ever going to make money doing so. Uh, I, I, I recently was in a race and, and I got a cash prize and I came home and I told my wife, I said, does this make me a, uh, I got a cash prize, does this make me a professional athlete? And she says, okay, take the value of that cash prize and then subtract what you pay for your shoes and your outfits for the year. And if it's positive, yes, it was not in the positive. <laughs> so I am not a professional athlete. Uh, the, uh, but what I have found in that hobby is that if I don't have a race or a goal I'm training for, I don't do very well. I have trouble getting out of bed. I, I, I have trouble running as hard as I need to on the days I need, I need to run hard just because I need that goal out there for me. There, there's kind of this sense, some of you have, have run marathons, and if you're in the marathoning world, after you run a marathon, uh, generally you have a break and then you decide what you want to do next. But for the type of people who were blessed with the type of mental health issues which cause us to run marathons, um, you know, when you're in that season of you've just gotten done with one and you don't have another one on the books yet, you're not training for anything, it's very disorienting. Everybody comes up to you and they go, hey, I heard you ran a marathon, great job, great job. And you're like, my life is adrift at sea without a rudder. Every day is gray. I don't know what I'll do next. And then you set another race and you're fine. But it's important to be training for something. Now, training your body is only of mild importance 
compared to training the Spirit. That's what Paul has to share with Timothy. Uh, Timothy, uh, being one of his younger co-workers in the gospel, Paul writes this letter uh, to mentor and to guide him into what's really important. How do you really make a difference? Here's what Paul has to say. We're going to pick up today with uh, 1 Timothy uh, chapter 4, beginning with verse 7. Train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toll and struggle because we have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. These are the things you must insist on and teach. Let no one despise your youth. But set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love and faith and purity. Until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you, which was given to you through prophecy with the laying on of hands by the council of elders. Put these things into practice. Devote yourselves to them so that all may see your progress. Pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things. For in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Did you hear how Paul began that? Train yourself in godliness. For while physical training is of some value, godliness is valuable in every way. Just as the body must be trained to do what's right, physical training, the soul must be trained to desire what's right. Uh, we, we know how our bodies work and how our bodies can be trained. That They begin... Uh, by often desiring or wanting the wrong things. Think about if you've ever tried to begin eating healthy. Now, there are companies that spend billions of dollars creating uh, food that will delight our taste buds, a significant amount of it unhealthy. Uh, it's, it's delightful initially, right? A and then we get very used to that. And if you go back and then you try to start eating significantly healthy, at first it doesn't taste as good. But then over time, your tastes change. For instance, how many of you at age seven ever thought to yourself, you know what, I just, I would really like a fresh spinach salad with chia seed on it. That, that would just be so refreshing for lunch today. Uh, pro probably not. Now, if you did, you're probably going to live to 120. Uh, so I, ingest, I suggest you invest wisely. But over time, when you eat healthy, your tastes change, so you desire that. That's how you train the body. The soul's the same way. The basic human problem, the basic human problem from the beginning of humanity is wrongly ordered desire, is that sin wrongly orders the desire of our souls, and it makes us desire things uh, which are not good for us or not good for others. And what, what Christ does is he comes and he heals that. And he helps us rightly order our souls. But most of us start out and to begin with, our souls desire these things to which we, we des our souls desire them like we desire potato chips, right? Uh, and what are these things? Status and pleasure, but especially status. In fact, most of the times when we might get into trouble by seeking pleasure in too many uh, ways, in too many places, is because we're trying to numb ourselves to the way we are dissatisfied by either our inability to gain status or 
by the fact that we get, always thought status would make us feel better and then we gained it and it didn't do the trick. But that is what we often on our own will default to seeking. Now, you can see children before they get this concern about status in life, and it's beautiful. It's when they're learning to walk. And when you see a child who learns to walk, uh, that child's receiving very positive feedback, right? Uh, they, they get up, and they fall down, and everybody smiles and laughs. And they get back up again, and they fall down again, and everybody smiles and laughs. And they get up again, and this time they get a few steps, and everybody smiles and laughs. And then eventually they get up, and they can walk, and everybody smiles and laughs. And it never, uh, you know, it never occurs to them to think bad about themselves because they fall down. Uh, because everybody, no matter what they do, everybody smiles and laughs, except when they start walking and they get close to the hearth. And then everybody gets real concerned all of a sudden, and they can't figure out why that's such a danger zone. But you get older in life, and you fall down, and you make mistakes, and people don't smile and laugh at you, do they? Sometimes they, they look at you with great disappointment. Sometimes they express it with their words and sometimes very loudly with their words, their great disappointment in you. And especially in a competitive society like our society, often you begin to think, well, the people who achieve that, the people who get that, they're more, they, they're more valuable. Uh, they, they have more worth because they made the grade. They, they made the team. They got the job. They, they bought the house. They, 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 they have the boat. Uh, they, they own the company. What, 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 whatever it might be, they, 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 have, they, they have a family. They were able to pay for their kids to go to college. What, what, whatever it is, we decide, and often we look up to people who have slightly more than us, and we're like, yeah. And, and we express status and our desire for status in a million different ways. We, we express it with with how we dress, uh, whether it's dressing up or whether it's dressing in the colors of a particular ball team. You know, we, we express status in how we carry ourselves and, and where we go. And, and we're always one that, you want to know how much we care about status? I got a letter in the mail the other day. It's from one of my favorite retailers, Dick's Sporting Goods. They said, thank you for buying all your running shoes from us. You have bought so many running shoes from us. You now have a gold card for your rewards card. Now, uh, they sent me in this package with my gold rewards card. Um, it, it had an actual card that, that, that was gold. And I took it out, and I already have a wallet that has too many cards in it. But I thought, I need to put this in my wallet because I need to have it with me wherever I go. Because it might be important that I'm able to show other people that I have a gold Dick's rewards card. Now, interestingly enough, every time I go to the store, I take that card with me and I never use it because they don't even use those cards. They type in your phone number. But it was gold. And I wanted everybody to know I felt so good that I had a gold card. We love status. And we often make it our God unless our souls are trained. And the problem is status is a God that will let you down every single time. 
you will spend your life, you will spend all your energy and all your resources seeking it. And you will either find yourself unable to achieve it or you'll find yourself that once you grabbed it, it didn't bring you any of the promises that it made to you along the way. So our souls must be trained to, right, to rightly order their desire, to desire what's right. To, and we, we, know, we know what that is. Uh, it's the grace that we have in God. It, Paul says it like this to Timothy. Because we have our hope set on the, this is verse 10, by the way. We have our hope set on the living God who is the Savior of all people, especially of those who believe. This is what we hope in, to become like Christ. That's what training in godliness is. It's becoming like Christ and learning that what we really want out of this life, what really adds value to this life is we want, when we learn to love like Christ loved us. When we learn to forgive others who don't deserve it without asking for anything in return. Uh, When we learn to serve, uh, not because others will lift us up as a good example for serving, but because somebody needs something. When we learn to, to seek God's will for our lives because we come to trust that that's going to be better than anything else, even if it's going to make, ask us to make sacrifices that we wouldn't otherwise make. Remember how Jesus defines love, willing to lay down your life for one another. That's rightly ordered desire, seeking God, seeking to be able to, to love sacrificially. Uh, remember, if you have come to this church, and if you have joined this church out of the desire to gain status as a church member, I want to remind you that we come to this church to worship the Savior who said, when you go to a banquet and you're offered a seat with high status at the head of the table, give it up and go sit at the low table. That's not something we have to offer. There are organizations that offer that. I can tell you how to get a Dick's Gold Card. But we don't offer that here. And here's what happens for most of us in our lives we make status our God for a time, and then thank God, God saves us. God comes in. And maybe it's when uh, we have gone against so many of our values seeking status, or when we have fallen and failed to gain it enough uh, that we reach our rock bottom, and we truly experience, not just in our head, but in our hearts, the grace of Jesus Christ who loves us, not just at our very best, but at our very worst, who gave his life for us, not just at our very best, but at our very worst. Remember the Last Supper? Who's at the Last Supper? Judas Iscariot, who's about to betray Jesus, is sitting at the Last Supper. Do you know why Jesus invited Judas to the Last Supper? It wasn't to make an example out of him. It was because he loved him and wanted to share dinner with him. You know who else is at the Last Supper? Peter is at the Last Supper, who will deny Jesus publicly three times within 24 hours. You know why Jesus has Peter at the Last Supper? Not to make an example out of him, but because he loves him. And within those 24 hours, Jesus will be nailed to a cross and he will look down at the soldiers who have tortured him within an inch of his life and he will say, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. When we learn how much he loves us at our very worst, it helps us become our very best. It gives us the beginning of wisdom, which is the grace of God. When we really learn that, And then we learn how to base our lives on that. Because all this status seeking that we do, do you know what that's based on? It's based on insecurity. It's based on an insecure soul. 
And when you come to know the God who loves you at your worst, there's a type of security and a rock-solid foundation that nothing can shake because you know there's nothing that can make God love you less and there's nothing that can make God love you more because God loves you as much as love can love. And there's nothing that can make God desert you or turn away from you. You can turn away from God. You can even turn away from God eternally. But you can't make God turn away from you. you that's, that's not who God is. And when you get to that point of realizing that love, wisdom begins. And for many of us, once wisdom begins, then we also find that we have a calling to, to share it. But we can disqualify ourselves from that very easily. This was a problem from Timothy too. Timothy often shot away from his calling because he didn't feel like he was good enough for it. For Timothy, it was an issue of youth. He was much younger than Paul, and he didn't always feel capable of the things that Paul asked him to do. And Paul says this to, to Timothy. Uh, he, he says to him, let, this is verse 12, let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Let no one despise your youth. Friends, don't ever apologize for how God has made you wise. Whether it's because you're young and you feel like, well, I'm too young to really make a difference or to speak up, or because you feel like, well, I'm too old, uh, or because the way God's made you wise is through some mishaps uh, and through getting knocked down by, by life a couple times, and some of your mishaps have been public mishaps, and people know about them, and you're tempted to say, well, I just don't have enough status to carry out this calling, to carry out what God uh, might want me to do with my life. It ain't about status. It's about grace. It's, it's about love. Don't ever apologize for that. Uh, there's a great story that comes out of the sports car world. Uh, some of you have heard of the names Lamborghini and Ferrari. You may not quite know where Lamborghini came from. Well, uh, during the early 1900s, Ferrari uh, was the great uh, Italian sports car maker. And there was a man named... Uh, Mr. Lamborghini, because I can't, let's be honest, I can't pronounce his first name. And Mr. Lamborghini came from a family of grape farmers. After World War II, uh, they used tractors on their farm. They knew about how to repair the tractors. There were all these blown up uh, or used up tanks in Europe from World War II. They took parts from tanks and began making them into tractors and selling the tractors, and they started the Lamborghini Tractor Company. Well, the Lamborghini Tractor Company went very well, and so well so that Mr. Lamborghini could afford to buy himself some Ferraris. And he loved driving his Ferraris, and he drove them in such a way that the clutch wore out often. And because he liked to drive them fast and would wear out the clutch, he became frustrated that he was paying so much money for a car whose clutch often wore out. But since he was a mechanic himself, he took apart the clutch and he realized that it had a defective design and a defective piece. And the exact piece and design uh, improvement that needed to be made, he could do from how he did clutches on his tractors. So he modified it, and he improved the clutch significantly in Ferraris. And he went to Mr. Ferrari, and he said, Mr. Ferrari, I have found this would really improve the clutches in your car if you would implement it. And Mr. Ferrari says, don't tell me how to run my business. 
you little tractor maker. So Mr. Lamborghini decided he could make sports cars just as well as Mr. Ferrari. Don't ever apologize because you made tractors. Don't ever apologize for the ways God, what God has used to make you wise. By the way, one, one other uh, fact because you wanted to know. Uh, there, there is one other thing that Mr. Lamborghini and Mr. Ferrari have in common. And that is that I have never driven either of their cars. And so if you have one of them and you need to get some miles on it to keep the engine running well, I have a flexible work schedule. I will come on my lunch break. I'd be happy to help you with that because I have a servant's heart. (laughs) How often do we disqualify ourselves? How often do we feel like we have to go around apologizing for the things in life that God has used to make us wise? Whether it's being young And I would remind you, if you are young, that in some fields like physics, math, and economics, most of the phenomenal advances and new ideas come from people 30 or younger. Physicists, after about 30, say, well, okay, I've had most of the creative ideas I'm going to have. I know in coming and being a pastor, my first 10 years in ministry, I thought I had some really new ideas. And it was because I was new to it. And I was seeing things with new eyes, and I was thinking, this will be great. I'll have new ideas my whole career. You know what happened after about 10 years? Man, I haven't had a new idea in a long time. But I've had to learn to get to know people who have new ideas. And I've learned there are all kinds of people with incredibly creative ideas that God will give to the church to show us how to move faithfully forward into the future. Maybe you think you're at an age where people don't, care as much what what you have to say because you're older now nothing could be further from the truth we need your wisdom we need your wisdom and your insight desperately I remember being at a church where we started a ministry and it was uh, to young people and the young people we were ministering to weren't like the young people who had been in our church previously these young people came from a different neighborhood many of them came from broken homes homes where they didn't always have heat in the winter where they didn't always have food on the table homes where they heard and saw things that were very different from what many of our church kids heard and saw and when we invited them to our church we found that despite our best efforts they treated the facility a little differently and things got broken And they talked a little differently. And sometimes you heard certain words in the church hallway that you weren't supposed to hear in a church hallway. You weren't really supposed to hear anywhere. But we were trying to to do ministry with these kids and get to know them and love them. And there became a significant conflict in the church over the use of the church building with these kids. So we had this big church meeting. And we were debating, could we rent a space somewhere else? Uh, to uh, where we could minister to, to these church kids. And then uh, one of the great members of our church, she was a young 98 at the time, she said, you know, there's not space in this church building that I helped pay for, for these young people. I don't really think there's space for me. Well, there's no more debate, right? There's no, it, it was no longer a question of should we do this, it was How? How are we all going to be church together? And we stopped talking about us and them. And we just started talking about us. And it takes all of us 
Just like Paul was telling Timothy, it takes you. I know you're young, but you can do this. And here's what he's asking Timothy to do. He says, until I arrive, give attention to the public reading of Scripture, uh, to exhorting, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that is in you. Pay cl- and skipping to verse 16, pay close attention to yourself and to your teaching. Continue in these things, for in doing this, you will save both yourself and your hearers. You'll save yourself and those who hear you. Because once you've acquired wisdom, it must be shared. If you want to grow closer to God in your life, uh, once you experience God, you have to share God. I had a friend who applied for a PhD program. He got rejected. He knew one of the professors on the acceptance committee. And he said, what was it? How can I improve my application? And the professor said, you're just as smart and you have as many credentials as anybody we accepted. He said, why didn't you accept me? He said, because you couldn't tell us how you were going to use the degree. And we only want to invest in people who will put what we give them into use. When God gives you this wisdom that comes from grace and love, it's to be shared. It's, it's to be shared. To really love others is to share Christ. And the failure to share is a failure to love. So today, in a moment, we're going to come and we're going to find that this Jesus, that he never fails to share who he is with us when we come to the communion table. And maybe you're going to come today with your hands open and you're going to say, Jesus, I've spent my life seeking status. And maybe I've even been a member of the church for decades. But if I really look at what I've been training for, what I've been trying to acquire, it's been status. And it needs to be grace and love and sharing your grace and love. And I need to be changed. And if you pray that prayer, I promise, with that bread and that wine, with his presence through the Holy Spirit, he'll answer. And he'll begin working in you to rightly order your soul's desires. And then maybe some of us need to say, Jesus, you've, you've impacted me. And I've seen what it is to be loved at my worst. I've, I've seen what grace really is. But I've largely kept it to myself. I, 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 need to, I need to begin to share. I need you to show me how. Show me where. Friends, I'm not aware of a time when Jesus has ever failed to answer either of those prayers. So let's pray together. Gracious Lord, we come before you. Some of us today come before you asking you to reshape our souls. We have sought status and pleasure and tried to find our meaning and our self-worth within them. And they have left us cold and empty. God, we need to find it in you. We need to learn for ourselves what grace is. Not just to understand it in our heads, but to feel it in our hearts We need to know unconditional love, O Lord, in our souls. Some of us, O Lord, we've experienced that grace. And we have apologized for the ways you made us wise. We have thought of ourselves disqualified from sharing it by the very ways you've used to qualify us. So Lord, show us where and to whom and how we might share because in you we have seen love and grace beyond all measure we have seen what's really valuable what's really beautiful 
what really lasts. And we want nothing more, Lord. We want nothing more with our lives than to love you and to love our neighbors because of how you have loved us. In your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Concord United Methodist Church. This podcast is a ministry of Concord United, and we would love to hear from you. To contact us, please send an email to podcasts at concordunited.org with sermons in the subject line. For more information about Concord United, including worship times, service opportunities, mission efforts, and classes, please visit our website at concordunited.org. We also invite you to download and enjoy our daily devotional podcasts presented by the pastors and members of Concord United. Finally, we would appreciate it if you would leave a rating and a review of this podcast so that others can discover it and benefit from it.